Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace, and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you're watching from History Makers TV, please feel free to like and subscribe. If you're watching or listening from Charisma Podcast Network or Spotify, also subscribe. Now, don't mind my voice this morning. I'm fighting a bit of a cold, but I didn't want to miss an opportunity with a friend of mine. We've got a special guest today. We veered off course a bit from our Apostolic Solution series, and I'm so happy to welcome Mark Brisebois to the podcast today. I wanna, I wanna just give a good bio, and then I'll veer off the bio even and say a few things. Uh, but Mark Brisebois is the founder of Watchmen on the Wall Ministries, based in Alberta, Canada, where he lives with his wife Wendy. As a recognized Canadian apostolic leader, he is known for strategic wisdom, which is applied toward seeing a generation rise in the fullness and power of heaven. His articles and books are widely circulated, distinguished, probing, and challenging insights. Mark travels extensively while acting as the senior leader with an Alberta church. Now, I had the privilege of meeting Mark a number of years ago. And if you've ever heard the song or the jingle, one of these things is not like the other. Uh, we would be in a group setting. And as soon as Mark took the microphone, you know, the revelation that would pour out of him. And I had these moments uh, every time he would speak. And I'd say, are you guys hearing this? <laughs> you know, and I would look around the room and I thought, this guy is rich with wisdom, revelation, uh, it's a revelatory gift. And so every time I've heard him in various settings, I've been amazed and I thought, what a gift we have right here in Canada. But, but Mark, let me ask you to talk about yourself a little bit, if you don't mind. Who is Mark Brisebois? Have I read you correctly? Who's Mark? Yeah, well, I mean, we all have our story. You know, we all have our history. And uh, like David, who was unbeknownst to even his family, he's in the wilderness, he's being trained, he's being raised up. And the, but there comes a moment when anybody who's being prepared is ready for the moment that God has prepared them for. And there's a convergence of readiness, both with the church and with the person. And so, you know, I, uh, I, I, for some people, they've known me for some time. For others, uh, I've been, I'm a new voice. But at 62 years old, I've clearly been around for at least 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't look it, Mark. You don't look uh, 60. Well, you know, I, I don't have a lot of gray hair getting a little bit there. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah, no, just happy to be here, Derek. Uh, bless you. Well, it's, it's a great honor. I am a big fan. I meant what I said. And I've always found that about you. Let's get right into some kind of... You know, I know you're, you're two hours behind, I think, out in Alberta there. So it's early for you, but let me fire some questions at you. Let's have a conversation. When we do talk, it's always rich. Not everything, of course, we share on a podcast, but, but, but just feel free here. 
I wanted to ask you about the challenge of being a revelatory speaker or a man of revelation in Canada. My own experience has been that that can be challenging at times when we've held very closely anchored to a form and fashion, whether prophetic intercessory, which we love, or another form of sorts. Have you run into challenges in Canada that maybe you haven't overseas in the area of, of the stream that you really bring? Uh, yeah, for sure. I, you know, Canada is a, a, a small church family, right? relatively speaking, you know, when you compare the, the believing community and, you know, not even segmenting it down into the charismatic Pentecostal, you know, segments, it's, uh, it's very easy for us to stay with who we know and, uh, and find comfort in voices that are familiar, that are saying the same things we've always heard. And, uh, and the nature of this walk to begin with is, is that, um, it's largely most people are driven by fear, and so uh, most most denominational church settings, the way we keep people safe is by warning them not to go outside the boundaries, and so the boundaries happen to be what we already know. Uh, unfortunately, and this this is pretty universal, pretty universal because it says, "Lean not on your own understanding." In pro the Proverbs, it's talking about looking for wisdom. And when you're when you're leaning into wisdom, spiritual understanding, a spirit of revelation, there's a lot of fear that would keep us uh, re, uh, restricted to a very small area. And uh, and as soon as somebody's saying something we that's not already pre-approved, we get nervous. Wow. And I have I have found that the reluctance, the inability to do that, uh, is is a big barrier to the body of Christ. And um, and so, but particularly in Canada, more so in Canada than the U.S. and other places, Canada is a place that has not been uh, uh, courageous in pursuit of truth. Wow. And so, uh, I was fortunate to have a mother who who said some wise things to me as a young Christian, and I say, I share this all the time. She said, "Mark," she said. Uh, Wherever you see the mark of the Holy Spirit on anything, any movement, any any stream, any any revelation, jump in with both feet. Wow. As soon as you do, people will say, "Be careful! There's excesses there. There's flesh there. There's da 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 da." And she said, "Don't worry about what's wrong with with a, with an environment because you have a promise from the Holy Spirit." And the Holy Spirit was given with the promise of leading you into all truth. So begin with the premise that, A, you don't know truth, but you can recognize the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit and assign in your heart the, the duty of the Holy Spirit to separate the wheat from the chaff. So then you can jump boldly in with that promise. Unfortunately, so many people have more faith in the, the Satan's power to deceive than the Holy Spirit's power to clarify. And so they oh, wow. always lean in the, ver in the direction of their fear uh, as, as the keeper, as, as their guardian. Fear is not a great guardian, and it has is, it is not served us well in the body of Christ. It has kept us locked in to some, some very small, basic ideas. And you see the church huddled, huddled around these tiny little fires of truth to say, don't go into the dark, 
don't step away from this. It's not safe. Wow. And, and, um, and most people live by that model. And there's, there's natural reasons, which if we have time, we can go into as to why that is. Uh, it's, it's true not only with natural knowledge, but I mean, spiritual knowledge is true with natural knowledge. Why, why don't you speak but, to a few of those, if you can, just touch on that. Sure. Well, uh, I was sharing some, about this uh, a few weeks ago, and I was telling somebody, I noticed this, when somebody says, hey, um, does anybody know a good plumber? Does anybody know a good electrician? And when you think about expertise in an area, the expert to us is always the guy that knows more than us. So I know very little about electricity or plumbing. So to me, anybody who knows anything is, is a guy I would recommend. And so when you don't know anything about an area, uh, your tendency is to say, this per you don't know how good they are. They could be the worst plumber in the world, but they are a plumber. Yeah. And you would have no idea. You wouldn't know they're a bad plumber because you don't know the industry. Brilliant. And so within a body of knowledge, there's always people who know, know more than us, but know very little more. And yet there's still, there's, it's murky. As soon as you're talking about people, something beyond your knowledge, there's a shroudedness around that area of knowledge and 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 we don't know how right they are how wrong we are and if you keep being warned about bad plumbers you have no ability to qualify whether a plumber is a good plumber so what you do is you stay away from plumbers altogether wow. and and that's what happens is is uh, we're told about error 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 we're fixated on error we're nervous about error as soon as somebody begins to use terminology or language that is not common, we get nervous. Wow. And so, and so back, I noticed as a young Christian, new Christian, uh, the new age, the big deal was the new age. It was all these books being written about, watch out for the new age. As soon as you mention the words light, as soon as you mention the words rainbow, you know, as soon as you, I mean, people just start to get nervous and uh, they're like, what are you talking about? I remember I was at a missions organization. I was manning a booth for Christ for the Nations in Vancouver. And uh, I was walking around on, on one of the breaks and I come up to uh, one of the, another booth and I start asking this person about their ministry. And they're, they're, they're kind of, well, I'm protecting the church against the new age. And right away, I feel that tone of fear and paranoia. And, uh, and so I thought, I'm gonna test this person to see if, you know, if they know what they're talking about. I said, well, you do believe we're meant to be partakers of the divine nature, don't you? And they, they got all nervous and kind of, yeah. and I, I said to them, I said, listen, I said, I just quoted you a passage of scripture from the Bible, from, from first Peter, second Peter. Uh, and you got all nervous. I said, I don't think you really know where the line between truth and error is you're guided by fear. I'd be careful and reevaluate what you're doing for the church because, uh, and this has been my experience that, and, and, and I totally understand when somebody seems to be touching something that is not common, we look around to see, is anybody else validating this? Uh, because we mostly walk by the opinions of others, the fears of others, and we don't really know the word and don't, we don't really trust the this Holy is so Spirit. so good, Mark. Uh, I already am thinking in my mind where we can cut up clips even of this interview so far. Um, 
how does that tie in with this with the religious spirit which i've heard you talk about and and dad used to say you know one of the most powerful or awful spirits you can tangle with in the church is the religious spirit um can charismatics be religious and we we can tend to fancy ourselves as very charismatic and we we have genuine uh, manifestations. We have replication of previous manifestations. Um, can charismatics become religious? I think that's a relevant question for, for Canada. Talk to me about that. Undoubtedly, um, I think anybody be can become religious. You know, there's, there's a number of tentacles uh, and tools within the, the arsenal of the religious spirit. And... Um, one of the tentacles has to do with, uh, it really is a confidence in a system that is not spirit-based, faith-based. Mm. It is, um, and so what happens again, it's that, it's that same thing is we, we have confidence in, in markers that are not based on the witness of the spirit. I was, uh, I was just come back from a trip here. And one of the things I'd shared on this trip was, I was, I was trying to, to push in a little bit on people's faith. And I asked the question, how do you know that you're born again? How do you know for sure that you're born again? And most people, when you ask them, they'll, they'll, they'll cite a, a day and time. They'll say, well, you know, on October 24th, uh, 1996, I prayed the prayer and I went forward to da, 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 da. And, um, and so they marked it in their calendar. They said, this is the day. And there's certain, there's, there's certain confidence that they get from that. You know, I, I called on the Lord. If you call on the Lord, you will be saved. And I'm not disputing that. But at the end of the day, as you mature, the evidence that you're born again is that his spirit witnesses with your spirit that you are a child of God. This is what it says in Romans chapter yeah. 8. And so... And so the question becomes, how much do we live by that witness, that confidence that comes from an inner voice saying, I am yours and you are mine? And so, a lot of young people will tell you that, that they finally came to a place where they were confident in their salvation, but they went forward 15 yeah. times. Yeah. You know, they, they asked Jesus into their heart a bunch of times. And that one was the real one. But it's actually the confidence grows and then, and then that just, you know, that wears off because, because it's something, it's something un, intangible. And the problem with a lot of our, our devices, artificial devices that give people confidence, we try to give them a natural buffer to sustain what they believe, what they want to be true spiritually. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and what God is trying to develop in us is the intuitions of the spirit. That's, these are the things that, that give you confidence. It's, we hear his voice. We, we relate to him. We connect with him internally. And so uh, the religious spirit uh, creates artificial versions wow. of that. And this is what Paul writes. He says, talking specifically about the Jews, but this really applies to all of us, and we don't want to go into this. It's a big subject. But, but he, says, he says, being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they seek to establish their own. And so that's essentially what the law is. The law is any system, 
any overt outward uh, version of, of, of behavior that gives you confidence that you have favor with God. The Bible says that righteousness comes by faith. And as soon as we substitute, well, you know, I read my Bible this much. I was nice to people. People say I'm a good person. I'm faithful at my church. Any of these things that give us confidence is evidence of a system of righteousness that is not based in the spirit. Can you just say that again, that last line? That is loaded. Yeah, any any system of behaviors that either condemn us or uh, when we don't do it or give us confidence when we do do it is law. And it is it is a system of righteousness. It gives us confidence and boldness to come before God's throne. And because it's not born of faith, it's law. It's a it's a it's a religious. The new and living way that gives us boldness to come to God is not whether you fasted this week, whether you read enough of your Bible, whether you were nice to somebody who was mean to you. It was because the blood of Jesus Christ is the only way that you can have confidence to draw near to him. So at at its heart, the religious spirit seeks to leverage factors in our life that give us an alternate form of boldness that is not rooted in the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. And maybe even lacks the authenticity. Like, let's take certain manifestations for one. You and I have had genuine manifestations of the spirit. I've been in meetings, genuine prophetic acts, um, stuff that is just the real deal and you're changed from it. You know, I I was impacted at Catch the Fire, formerly TACF. I I spoke there and in the green room, uh, Carol Arnott came and all she did was put her finger on my forehead and and her foot on my foot Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, what in blazes are we doing here? And suddenly I'm on the floor And I feel I'm in a river and I'm there for close to three hours. And I'll tell you, when I got back up after that, I was more in love with Jesus. I was so refreshed and reinvigorated uh, in my love for the Lord and a desire to to do ministry. So there's the genuine. But do we even have a propensity to try to craft a service or an altar time? or a prophetic acts that, that we've gotten glued to that maybe w- it's a system we've created. Uh, absolutely. And uh, it's a hard one to go into because on sure. the one hand, you, it's okay as Christians to, to practice. It's okay to experiment. It's okay to you know, spread our wings and, and discover, try and discover what has power what doesn't have power, what has more life and less life. But in so doing, we easily fall into repetitious patterns where we do what was done before because that's the, that's the thing that was sanctioned. And, um, and it manifests in so many ways. It manifests, uh, and again, it's that thing that the that, that Christians, I mean, the warfare that we're under, not just Christians, it's so intimidating and where there's a voice and there's an atmosphere that says to us constantly, we are unapproved. We are unapproved. Wow. And it, so it keeps us into narrow, you know, restricting ourselves to what is already pre-approved because you, you're not sure where the origins of that voice and that oppression is really coming from. 
And so it goads us, unless we have adventurous revelatory faith that leads us into new obedience to do new things we've never done before, we tend to just repeat the old things. And unfortunately, uh, there's diminishing returns usually in those old things. Wow. And, and at yeah. the end, we could be doing them, you know, Jer Jericho marches. You know, every time there's a pray for a breakthrough, we're going to do a Jericho march. You know, somebody's got a word. I got to do a Jericho march. And you know what? Nothing wrong with Jericho marches. But uh, it becomes this default that we do in lieu of not knowing what else to do. Wow. And, uh, and it becomes a, you know, and it's, it's, it's normal. And, and there are phases in our life that God has to wean us from those things. It's part of the journey. But when you have huge sectors of the body of Christ stuck on those, it can be very damaging. Wow. I remember uh, one time speaking at a, a conference in Europe. And when I got to the church, I noticed, I felt right away, this is part of my prophetic revelatory gifts. I felt right away that there was a culture that was rapidly congealing around the idea that the most spiritual, the most approved people in this room were the ones that were the had the most boisterous manifestations. And so there was this internal uh, reward in the culture of the church if you fell down, you know, had man, you know, were wildly touched by God. This was the proof to everyone else that God loves me. Yeah. And so there was this internal religious reward system. If you were bombastic, if you got drunk in the spirit quickly, you know, if you flailed around on the ground. And so it was very hard to determine how much was genuine because of these 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 <laughs> bribery impulses <laughs> in the culture. And so uh, uh, I remember uh, I, I remember preaching. I felt I felt the Lord wanted me to preach against the grain of that. It it did not go well. Wow. In terms it was not well accepted. Uh, but I, I began to talk about the uh, the terror of the Lord. Wow. When everybody, when everybody else was only talking about the joy of the Lord and uh, and um I, I said stuff like, you know what? I said, uh, I said, I actually don't manifest that much. I've had m some significant touches of God in my life. I've had some wild moments in the presence of God as has yourself. But, you know, when people lay on me, I don't get drunk easy. But then, you know, some people can hold their liquor. And so, <laughs> so, and so they probably you know, judged you. Perhaps they judged you in that moment of being dry or not at their level, maybe. Oh, for sure. Unfortunately. For sure. And that was and and I, I guess I was fine with it. It was it was difficult in the moment, but I believe that a word like that, you know, it the word of the Lord does not return void. And I believe God just sowed it into there at the cost of my reputation with them. Yeah. And uh and you know, I I've done I've been I've done that a number of times. It's like I go into a situation, I feel what the word of the Lord wants to do. And I have to set my 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 reputation aside. Yeah. As a fellow teacher of truth, I've seen the power of of truth as a weapon of warfare. Truth as a you know enlightenment tool, unveiling the nature of God, and and you'll see how devalued it can be when yet you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
if when people can catch truth, but sometimes amidst all the noise, you, you were giving truth, and yet it can be deemed unspiritual by the yep. charismatic religiosity of, of, of it all. Let, let me segue here because part of why we originally had wanted to have you on the podcast was we were doing a series called A Mature Apostolic Prophetic. And I think this is a good point based on what you're talking about to shift into that a bit. Some might say, and we, we did kind of speak this in the series, that we might be coming to the end of an era of overemphasis of the prophetic and underemphasizing the apostolic outflow or strategy when it comes to discipling a nation. It seems as though the Canadian church views our role in discipling nations as, as taking over or uh, changing government um, and, and, you know, all of the things that we do, um, I have personally felt a lack of genuine apostolic strategy, rich prophetic, a rich intercessory movements here in Canada. Would you say, would you touch on that a bit? Because you're an apostle, you, you have apostolic strategy for things. Have we been underemphasizing that? And could that be the reason why we've been in sort of a holding pattern as far as real tangible results of changing our nation? It's a loaded question. I, I'm sorry, but. Yeah, no, it, it, it is a difficult question to navigate because, yeah. again, um, we both know that the nature of this journey is, is five years from now, we're not what we were yesterday. We're not what we are now. And there's, there's a continuous paradigm we're, we're shifting. However, in our eagerness, um, there and it, it, it goes across the board. In our eagerness in this thing, we tend to latch on to superficial evidences of apostolic or prophetic in the absence of having the patience to wait for the fullness. And so, and so when, when you have a, a, a plant that you've put it in a seed, it's coming up out of the ground, you don't know what it is maybe because you just tried this seed and, and, you, and it's, it's coming out, it's something you've never seen before. You actually still don't know what it is, but even when it starts to be different, you still don't know what it is. Wow. And, and the apostolic is one of those things. First of all, a couple things about the apostolic. We don't fully know what it is, and it's not uniform across the board. Your apostolic ministry can be very different from my apostolic ministry. For example, I am, I am not a systems guy. I, I'm not a guy who creates discipleship systems. Uh, my apostolic, I believe, is born of a prophetic revelation about the journey for the believer into maturity. Wow. If the external environments in which that journey should should take place. So good. I, there, there are people that just uh, create great discipleship paths. Uh, I have an understanding of the internal journey towards discipleship. What are the triggers? What are the what are certain uh, dimensions of of uh, that you have to pass through? Um, 
and and it's but it's internal in its nature. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I try to explain it this way. And sorry for talking about myself here, but we're on a we're on a a, a website here. We're looking at a website, and I uh, I take a picture sometimes of a website, and I show it to a congregation. I say, "Isn't this a great website?" I said, "There's a problem with it. Is this website?" is just a photo. If you try to push any of these buttons, they're not going to go anywhere. And so, so what you have, whether you have a real website, you have something that looks like this, but there's an invisible back end to it. And so there's a front end to a discipleship, the journey of a believer, uh, things they do in the natural, meetings they go to, schedules they, they adhere to, reading your Bible, mm-hmm. systems, all that. All that. But what's happening is there's a transformation happening on the back end in the secret places of their heart. I'm more attuned to that journey, the secret places of your heart, than I am the things that will yeah. trigger, trigger transformation in the secret places of your heart. Wow. So I like, so I, like to, I, I like to apostolically map out what needs to happen on the backside of your heart, what transitions your, your, your affections, your devotion is going through related to God, people, what are the evidences of spiritual growth? Not in terms of numbers of people, num- how much money you get, how many miracles, but what's happening in the secret places of your heart. Uh, that's equally apostolic as somebody who's planting churches. But we tend to flatten out what we think apostolic is to be one thing, and and it isn't. And uh, so that's one of the, the problems we have. The other thing is in the earlier years of the apostolic, um, anybody who was a little bit administrative, <laughs> but who was a teacher, started to call themselves apostolic. Yeah. And, and, and when I saw conflict, especially conflict between prophetic understanding or the, some of the other fivefold ministries and the apostolic, when they didn't appreciate or value the prophetic, I thought, well, you're not an apostle. Yeah. You're you're a teacher with an administrative gift. Otherwise, you would have a revelation about the value of the prophetic, and you'd be able to embrace intercessors beyond what you can. Now, is there a journey for those guys? Absolutely, but we we prematurely label a certain a certain thing based on its uh, external virtues, mm-hmm. a few external signs. We say, well, this is what the apostolic is. And we've done ourselves a disservice. We've we've cut the corners off the evolution of of uh, of uh, of the apostolic movement in Canada and the world, yeah. and looking for labels, looking for characteristics to assure ourselves or re- and, uh, reproducible model. Here is the model that is the answer for everything. You know, yeah. And uh, and I think we do that across the board. And so these are the growing pains and uh, of the body of Christ in Canada and elsewhere. And we don't have to be afraid of it, and we don't have to be ashamed of it. It just, it is what it is. And uh, and we're just, you know, like are watching, if you've raised kids, they get to that, you know, area, that age where they're cl- coming close to puberty, things starting to change. They feel very different, but we as adults know, well, different is just starting to change. And even when you're at the height of, of puberty, you're not nearly close to being a full-grown adult. And, uh, and and so we have a longer view of this thing, and we can begin to nurture it patiently. I believe what's happening 
in the body of Christ in Canada is that there is a nurturing patience with the journey that believers and even prophetic ministries are supposed to take, the, the, the ups and downs of that, walking people through those is going to uh, help us bring people to full maturity wow. in a very different way, I believe, in the next generation. So we're kind of, uh, and by the way, that is just so clear and so healthy what you've said. Um, we're kind of pursuing the dream of God. And I think you said, we don't really know what that looks like in full fruition. So we've got to yeah. accept the, for lack of a better term, the puberty journey here. We, we err a bit on this side. We get a little zealous on this side. We think this might be a model. But would you say that's where, that's where Canada's at? We're pursuing the dream of God. We're just not there yet. We don't know what it looks like. Yeah, and uh, I, I think, though, we're, we're, it's better than it's ever been. When I look across different streams in the body of Christ, I'm, I'm really encouraged. Yeah, yeah there still are the ones that are calling their brothers heretics, you know, based on, you know, distinctions that are, are totally legitimate. Uh, and you get that a little bit here in pockets here and there. And, but all in all, I think, I think the church has opened its heart to far more of what God is doing. And I believe one of the things, if we will have it, that God is imparting a capacity to believe him. Honestly, this is, I want to go circle back to this. This is really the most significant thing. You know, John says, we do not know, yet know how we shall appear, hmm. but we know that we will be like him when we see him as he is. And so I keep encouraging this pursuit. Pursue God. You don't know what you're becoming. Don't latch, don't latch on to what you are now as the end all and be all of it. Don't stick that as the signpost on your business card or your 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 website as what you are. Let the evolution. Let grow up into all things into Him. Yeah, so good. And if we believe that the seed, you know, I mean, every time every time a generation is grafted. Adopted a culture where they were against the physical body growing in a certain way, where they artificially made the neck grow longer or they wrapped the feet to keep them from growing or whatever. It always resulted in something less than what the Creator uh, said should happen. And that religious spirit is trying to bind us up to say, well, this is getting too big. Let's wrap it up. Mm. You know, you know, when you watch a, a young boy go through puberty and all of a sudden their feet get way too big for their legs <laughs> or, something. or something, you know, it's it's like, you know, their nose starts to grow and all of a sudden they were dis now they're disproportionate. Somebody tries to fix that. You don't have to fix that. I, I can't tell you how many times somebody came after me to fix me because I was disproportionate in their mind's eye, but I was going through spiritual puberty. Wow. And yes, I was more excited about something that was less essential to you than it than it should have been for the overall wow. body. But but this is my journey. This is who I am in puberty right now. I'm excited about it. Let me be excited. Stop trying to crush what is naturally evolving in my life out of your fear, out of your your idea of the trademarks of what this should look like at the end of the journey. Boy, that is incredible. That's the heart of a father, really. A, a good parent allows their teenager, like 
you know, when I was 14 and I'm wearing baggy pants hanging down and uh, <laughs> mom and dad just graciously allowed me to be disproportionate <laughs> a bit. And uh, that is a yeah. brilliant analogy for where the body of Christ would be at in, in Canada at this time. Wow. Um, I know we're running out of time. It's just so good. And I, I realize we need to probably do some other segments of this, but uh, let me shift into something else I wanted to ask about before sure. we talk about your, your book a little bit and then we'll wrap it up. Um, walking relationally with people, let's just keep it in Canada. Um, there will be those who are watching who could come into a greater unity among our brethren across the country. You have been able to, you said 60 years or whatever, you've been able to walk with a number of expressions and streams. And you've obviously would have had opportunity to be offended at some point by somebody's big nose or somebody's big feet. You've, you've had the opportunity to be offended and we tend to, I find at least in Canada, or maybe it's a Christian thing, we will struggle to, you know, James 3.16, jealousy, envy, selfish ambition, and you have the door open to chaos among relationships that should be the image of, you know, perichoresis and, and the Trinity. What would you say to people who, who want to walk together, but the stumbling blocks that are posed, what's your philosophy or principle on how you've been able to walk with different streams and preserve a wineskin of unity. Well, you know, it goes back to the um, the essential ingredients of faith that God uh, began to deal with in my heart as a young believer. And I can't tell the whole story. I could I could do hours on talking about this, but let me just cut it short. Um, Hebrews four twelve says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of sun, asunder of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And uh, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Ultimately, what the word of God comes to do is to, is to divide. The word always divides. God separates the light from the darkness. You know, he, this is what he does. And what he began to do in my heart is he began to separate my feelings from his feelings, mm. my perceptions from his perceptions. And he started by showing me as a young believer how, how often I was offended. And I had this classic moment where, where uh, I remember being offended with somebody. I was first year of Bible college in Dallas, Texas. And it was an, it's an incidental moment. A friend of mine said something or didn't say something. I thought he was dishonoring me. I walked by him. I said, hello. I greeted him warmly. I felt like he didn't reciprocate. I go to my seat. I'm, I'm wondering, God, what did, what did, I, what did he, what did I do that he's, he would treat me so unfeel in such an unfeeling way. And, and the Lord replayed the scenario for me in my mind. And I realized he was in the middle of a conversation and, and I was so oblivious to the fact that he was conversing with another brother and another two other people I was so aware of my need to be greeted. Wow. I was offended that he didn't greet me as enthusiastically as I greeted him. And when I saw it in the replay, I, get, I said to God, what, 
what happened here? Like how I'm, this is, this is crazy. I'm neurotic. How often does this happen? Yeah, yeah. He says it all the time. Yeah. Wow. And, and so it was a part of a series of moments in God, in my life where God was saying, you cannot trust offense. You cannot trust your interpretation of a moment when you are wounded, when you are hurt. Okay, you are hurt. Okay, you are feeling this. Oh, the, the feelings are legitimate. They're really, they're really there. The question is, where did they come from? Wow. And as he began to dissect the anatomy of where these things came from, I began to distrust increasingly this stuff that would come from a part of me. I did not know where it was, but it began to be distinguished from things that came from the spirit. And, and I noticed that offense, the, willing, the desire to write a brother off, to dismiss them, to belittle them, to, to condemn them, to compete with them, that all of these things were the fruit of something that needed to diminish in my life. And so it started with God making that distinction. As he made that distinction, the chasm between what was life and what was death increased in my life. It wasn't easy. You know, there, there are times when I felt so fully validated in what I was feeling, but what I was feeling would have, would have, would have been an impulse if I had acted on it that would have damaged the body of Christ. And so, and so as I obeyed that, what I saw out of that, and I denied myself, when I denied the right to feel a certain way, I, I, I got increasing clarity over what was happening in the world around me. And it began to increase my ability to appreciate more and more of the body of Christ. Now, there's a verse in First John, it says, by this we know that we've passed from death to life mm. because we love the brethren. Hallelujah. Wow. By this we know. You want authority? You want to be apostolic? You want to be a leader, a father, a mother in the body of Christ? If you are in danger, of responding to his children out of your self-interest because your ego has been bruised. You, you were not led into a cer certain circle. Now you're going to eviscerate them with murmuring, complaining. Now you're going to call down hell on them because, listen, that is not the spirit of God. And so there's this work that's going on and there, we're entering a generation where there's many promotions ahead, but they will be given to those who have held back their hand of vengeance, held back their hand of self-interest in moments where they weren't being celebrated and they wanted to be celebrated. And it was just yeah. an emphasis on somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Let it go. Bless the people of God. God is not mocked. If people are in the wrong, it will, it will prove in the end, your job is to show mercy. Your job is to love. Your job is to, uh, um, minister grace wow. to the body of Christ. Wow. I, I know you could talk probably for hours on that one, and it's, it's perfect that we cut it there because I, I want to put that out as a soundbite. Uh, that is just so mature. That is the nature of Christ formed in us, and it's probably taking you years to get there, I bet. And uh... Oh, the journey has been brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> This is so good. But before we wrap up, Mark, I see the sun's coming up there in your neck of the woods. 
Metaspheres. It's your latest yep. book. It's loaded. It delivers. But for somebody saying, should I get the book? What's a Metasphere? What's he talking about? What's Metaspheres? Okay, I'll, I'll share it really short. The, the word itself was, is a coined word from some friends of mine, but it really means uh, uh, more than atmosphere. Uh, this world exists by virtue of an atmosphere. We have an atmosphere around us. Everything in this world lives by virtue of an atmosphere. Anywhere you go, you think of the, the tropics, the, the kinds of trees that grow in Brazil grow there because there's a certain amount of rain, there's a certain uh, humidity, there's, there's a certain temperature. Uh, there's not a lot of, a lot of um, pine, uh, pine trees in, in the tropics, and there's not a lot of palm trees in northern Alberta. Atmosphere is a filter that decides what lives and what does not live. Brilliant. And so, and so what God is doing is he's creating, give, well, he's given us the ability to create atmosphere on several levels. And that ability to create an atmosphere of the presence and the knowledge of the glory of God is the cornerstone on which the kingdom of God is going to increase. One day, God says, "We're going. this job will be finished. And how will we know it's going to be finished? Because the earth, the whole earth, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That, that mean, that's an atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. And so God thinks in terms of jurisdictions with, with atmospheres. And so there are powers, there are things that fuel atmospheres. Um, and here's the template here, though. When you go back to the creation week, when God created everything, he, he started with a certain pattern. And the pattern was he always created habitat before inhabitant. And so when he created man, he didn't create man before he created the earth. He created the earth, he creates the habitat. He didn't create whales before he created oceans. He creates the oceans first, then the habitat. There has to be a sustaining atmosphere, which I call spiritually a metasphere for the believing community. Churches that do not know how to generate the presence of God, the manifestation of glory, will not be successful yeah. in bringing believers to maturity yeah. because they will be feeble. They will be weak. They will be without the essential ingredients, uh, the essential environment in which they could flourish, that would cause them to flourish. And, and maybe they'll use artificial means, programs. They'll settle for the gimmicks. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got it. Yeah. yeah. Spiritual atmospheres are, are not tangible to, to a lot of Christians, to a lot of people. You know, it's more about what we do than what's being created. Again, this is my apostolic. I am profoundly in touch with atmospheres. And, uh, and God has given me keys on how to generate atmospheres uh, for, for the people of God to grow. And I believe that as the kingdom of God increases, apostolic five-fold ministries in cities and regions are going to create canopy-like atmospheres that will result in spiritual Goshens that will cause certain regions of the earth to be increasingly godly and righteous and will flush out darkness in a palpable way until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So powerful, Mark. I'm, I'm holding myself back. There's just so much I want to say on that, but I hope you'll You'll come back and do another episode with us at some point. Uh, thank you. Thank you for this time.
Oh, it's, it's great to be with you. I always, uh, it's easy to talk. I feel inspired when I'm with you. Bless you. Amen. My pleasure to be on, and I, I'd come on anytime you ask. Oh, good. Well, for those listening, watching on Transformation Generation podcast, this was what we thought it would be. Actually, it exceeded our expectations. I'd really encourage you, just like we teach in the History Makers experience, repetition, go back, listen to it four to seven times, take good notes, review those notes. There was so much in there. This podcast had the equipping factor on it. Uh, if you can tap into those mindsets, uh, how to, you know, handling relationships when attempting to walk together in unity, the religious spirit and all of that, it was said with such maturity that it's worth it to go back and really review that thing because it was loaded. I want to thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you uh, next time on Transformation Generation Podcast. God bless. listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit historymakersacademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting-edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, History Makers TV.